0: If you have a copy of God's word with you, you can open back up to Genesis chapter 32, which was our scripture reading just a moment ago. If you are using one of the Bibles in the seat back in front of you, you can find our sermon text on page 25 of that copy of God's word there. Our sermon title this morning is very simply, Wrestling God, a story from the life of Jacob. Um, And I I had a friend asked me this week um, just what I was preaching on, and he's heard me preach before, and so I said, I'm, you know, teaching on the passage where uh, Jacob wrestles the Lord, and he, he laughed, and he said, why is it that you always choose the most bizarre passages to preach from? <laughs> and I laughed too. I knew he was kidding, of course, and, um, and I just love passages like these that cause us to kind of scratch our heads, lean in a little closer, and look to see what we can learn about our God, even in some of the more, the more tricky and confusing texts. So I'm excited to, to take more time and unpack this for you this morning. This story, of course, is coming from the life of Jacob. So let's talk about Jacob. Jacob is certainly one of the most complex and colorful characters in the entire narrative of the Bible. I love how Alistair Begg describes Jacob in that beautiful Scottish accent of his. Alistair Begg says that Jacob is a rascal of a character, right? He he is this, he is this messy and mesmerizing figure here in the story of Genesis. He is, of course, the son of Isaac, means he's the grandson of Abraham. And Abraham is of course the one to whom God appeared back in Genesis chapter 12 to set into motion this grand redemptive plan through Abraham and his family. God appears to Abraham in Genesis 12 and says, Abraham, I will give you a land, I will give you a family, and I'll give you a blessing. And this blessing is going to follow you and trickle down through your descendants. So Jacob now enters this lineage as one of Isaac's twin sons, the other twin, of course, being Esau, and Jacob didn't even wait until he was out of the womb to begin his rascal ways, right? Remember how Jacob comes out of the womb? He's clutching the heel of Esau, right? Jacob, Jacob, he, that's how he got his name. The, the name Jacob literally means supplanter, one who takes the place of another. It, Jacob likes to nip at people's heels, until he could get a leg up on them, so to speak. Jacob grows up and he ends up manipulating his brother Esau to sell him his firstborn portion of the inheritance, and then goes on to deceive his blind and elderly father Isaac to get his older brother's firstborn blessing. He then runs away in fear of his life and ends up trading barbs with Laban, his uncle, for about 14 years until he could get the wife that he really wanted. So over and over again in Jacob's life, we find out that he lives up to his name. He's a plotter. He's a schemer. Jacob lived his life like he was playing a video game. Like he had the controller in his hands, and so long as he pushed the right buttons and the right combinations, and maybe he snuck a few cheat codes in the back door, he was going to come out on top. Well, in Genesis chapter 32, it all catches up to him. His chickens have all come home to roost, right here in Genesis 32. Jacob has caught wind that Esau is coming for him, oh, by the way, with 400 of his own men. So Jacob panics. The last we hear from Esau is Genesis chapter 27, verse 41, where Esau vows, I will kill my brother Jacob, all right? So this is bad news right now in the life of Jacob. So he panics, and he scatters his estate. Half of his belongings go this way, half of his belongings go that way. So if Esau attacks that one, I still can get away with this one. And Jacob splits up his belongings to send a big, massive, generous gift ahead of him to try to appease his brother's wrath. But it's all superficial, Jacob is still looking out for number one. Let's pick up in verse 22 and and read to verse 24. Verse 22 says, Now he arose that same night and took his two wives and his two maids and his eleven children and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and he sent across whatever he had. Then Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. Daybreak. Already not a good look for Jacob here. Not quite the gentleman here, sending his wives and kids ahead of him with his belongings while he decides, to, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna hang back a little bit. But there's an interesting subtlety I want you to catch here that kind of sets the tone for our passage today. Notice in verse 22, the location. It says, they are near the ford of the Jabbok, which is where this strange man begins to wrestle Jacob. Now, you can't see it in English, but the Hebrew word for wrestle is abak, which is a play on the name Jacob. So essentially in English, here you have Jacob, Jacobing at the Jabbok, right? It's, it's, it's intentional. This is a clever wordplay by Moses, the author, to, to show you and a signal that what's about to happen right here is like the climax of everything that Jacob has been about, Right? Jacob's a wrestler. This is what he has done his entire life. Jacob has wrestled everyone. He's wrestled Esau. He's wrestled Isaac. He's wrestled Laban. Jacob was the original, undisputed WWE world champion, right? Like, bring out the belts. You know, he was number one. Yet Jacob was about to meet his match in the most unusual fashion. A man wrestled with him until daybreak. Verse 25 continues, when he saw, this man saw, that he had not prevailed against him, Jacob, he touched the socket of his thigh. So the socket of Jacob's thigh was dislocated while he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the dawn is breaking. But he said, I will not let you go until you bless me. So it's here we get a glimpse of this mysterious man Seems to be more than just a man. Like they wrestle all night long, neither one seems to kind of get the upper hand. So this mysterious man kind of presses fast forward on this fight, says, I'm going to end it right here. Touches Jacob's hip and dislocates Jacob's hip. What's remarkable about this detail is just how much force it takes to dislocate someone's hip. Have y'all ever watched like a, a, a professional weightlifter or a professional athlete do a squat before, right? They get that bar across their shoulders and they load it up with plates on both sides and they go down, and I'm not gonna go down because I don't wanna rip my pants up here on stage, but, but you know, they go down all the way and they go up all the way, right? Where's all of that, where's all of that weight and pressure flowing through? Like where's all that concentrated? From the hips, Right? Like, like your body can handle a lot of weight through your hip joints. Do you guys know the world record for the most weight ever squatted? 1,080 pounds, right? Your hips are the strongest joint in your entire body. I, I found it interesting. I found a quote here from an orthopedic website. The, the quote says this, it typically takes a major force to dislocate the hip. Car collisions and falls from significant heights are common causes, and as a result, other injuries like broken bones often occur with the dislocation. A hip dislocation is a serious medical emergency. Immediate treatment is necessary. So clearly, this man is no mere man at all if he can just touch the hip of Jacob and cause a car collision's worth of damage in that very moment. Like you can just imagine Jacob just collapsing to the ground, right? Grasping his hip with one hand and with the other hand still grasping at this man saying, I will not let you go until you bless me. Jacob was a relentless manipulator. His entire life He has struggled with others to gain blessing. But this time it's different. Let's wrap up our story in verse 27 and on. Verse 27. So this man says to Jacob, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him and said, Please, tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And he blessed him there. So Jacob named the place Peniel, for he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been preserved. So finally, this mystery man reveals who he is. Some scholars and commentators agree to disagree on this. Some think it's an angel, maybe the angel of the Lord, maybe God himself. And, and I'm pretty convinced that it's the third option. I'm pretty, con- pretty convinced this is God himself who has come down to deal with Jacob. And I think we can kind of surmise this in three ways. So first, no, up to this point in the Bible, it's been God who has changed people's names, right? Abram becomes Abraham. Sarai becomes Sarah. Later on in scripture, Jesus says your name will no longer be Simon, but Cephas, Peter, right? He changes Jacob's name to Israel, which means one who struggled with God. Secondly, he tells Jacob in verse 28, You have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. And third, Jacob names this place Peniel, which means the face of God. Now, if you've been following Jacob's life carefully up to this point, you might, some of this might sound familiar. Jacob has already had a parallel encounter with God in chapter 28. What happened in chapter 28? Jacob is fleeing Esau. It's nighttime. And Jacob has this dream of this ladder, the stairway going up into heaven. And at the top of the stairwell is God. And when Jacob wakes up, do you remember what he says? He says, surely God has been in this place. And he names the place Bethel, which means house of God. So now fast forward in chapter 32. What do we have here? Jacob fleeing from Esau. It's nighttime. He encounters a man that seems to be, appears to be God, and he renames this place Peniel, the face of God. I think Moses, as the the divine author, of course, led him, Moses has clearly recounted these two stories in tandem. He wants us to read both of these stories together to show us that God is repeatedly present with Jacob in his fear, in his worry, in his uncertainty to extend gracious blessing to him even when he doesn't deserve it. That's the surprising twist of this story. What did did Jacob deserve from this encounter? What did Jacob deserve wrestling the God of the universe? Jacob probably deserved for the God of the universe to come down and just crush him, right? Just rip him limb from limb and dump his body in the Jabbok. Jacob deserved the worst case scenario here meeting the Lord. Jacob's life was one of of deceit and infighting and polygamy and superstition and thievery and immorality. And friends, although our own sins are not immortalized in the pages of scripture like this, we all have a rap sheet before a holy God, don't we? We all have a history like Jacob. I don't think we should read this story and go, ha, what a fool. I would never be the same like Jacob. I'd never make those same mistakes. Now friends, I think we should read the story of Jacob and say, woe is me. That is me. I'm Jacob. I have hurt others in my life, and I have transgressed a holy God. This is why Jacob is asked by the Lord in verse 27. God asks Jacob in verse 27, "What is your name?" And he answers, "Jacob." And I think in that moment, God was not searching for information, okay? He knows Jacob's name. I think God was searching for a confession. What did the name Jacob mean? Supplanter, right? Deceiver, rascal, right? Guilty by way of submission in this episode. Yet the Lord graciously gives Jacob a new name and a new identity. Yes, one that reminds him who he was, one that wrestled, yet grants him a new start, a new beginning, a new mission. He's going to go forth and be the father of a nation that bears his name. I think all of us as humans long for this in some measure for someone to take our past to take our mistakes to take our sins and our hurts and just put them away and give us a new name a new birth and a clean start my friends this is what the lord has done for us in christ he has taken our past he's taken our history taken our baggage and our hurts and said those are gone here's new life a new identity Now go and walk in it. I want to leave you with just two points of significance from this story for our lives today. The first point of significance is this. Jacob, wrestling with God, reminds us that God's blessings cannot be manipulated. Jacob, wrestling with God, reminds us that God's blessings cannot be manipulated. Jacob was the king of the bargaining relationship. Was he not? He was a hustler. He was the master of using people for his gain, including using God himself. Flip back a couple pages in your Bible to Genesis 28. I want you guys to see this. Genesis 28 near the end of the chapter, look at verse 20 and 21. Genesis 28, 20 through 21. Jacob is making a vow here before the Lord, okay? Look at Jacob's wording here. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will keep me on this journey that I take and will give me food to eat and garments to wear, and I return to my father's house in safety, then the Lord will be my God. Look at all those conditions he puts on the Lord. God, if you do this and do this and do this and do this, then I will let you be my God, right? Have you ever interacted with someone like this before? They don't genuinely want a relationship with you. You can tell they want your stuff, your money, your status, right? How does that feel? Not good, right? None of us enjoy that feeling. But friends, how often do we slip into this mindset with the Lord? We, we keep a running tally in our heads. All right, God, God. Here I am, I've, I've been doing good. You can, I've been following your rules. Lord, you owe me one this time. Remember that time I did something for you? you? It's time for you to come through. God, if you do this for me, then I'll stop doing that. God, if you do this for me, I promise then I'll follow you. God, I will not let you go until you bless me. This is how we wrestle with God. God. We try to pin God to the ground for his blessing on our terms and not his. Here's how I think we do it. I think we let our wants turn into needs, turn into demands, right? We let our wants turn into needs, turn into demands, Think about a point of contention you have in your life right now. Think about a point of stress. What is at the root of that feeling deep down? Is it that you have let a want become a need become a demand? I want my spouse to appreciate me. I need my spouse to appreciate me. I demand my spouse appreciates me, right? And we blow up at our spouse's because they've not given us the admiration we think we deserve. I want this promotion. I need this promotion. I demand this promotion to stay with the company. I want this change in my life. I need this change in my life. I demand this change in my life. And friends, I don't think the problem is over here, because I think deep down, we want the good blessings that God wants to give us. But the problem is when we let those wants dominate our lives as needs and as demands. And we take that and we take that out on other people and we even take that out on God himself. And this is all tied back to wanting the blessings of God on our terms, not his. Friends, we ought to confess and repent of this mindset. We all have slipped into it. This is why Jacob wrestled God. His whole life, he wanted God's blessing, he needed God's blessing, and he demanded God's blessing. And God had to show Jacob no, 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 that is not how this thing works. There's an interesting little exchange in verse 29, back in chapter 32. Look we'll at verse 29, chapter 32. Jacob asks this man, he asks the Lord, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? Now, Jacob could certainly be searching for information here, and I think that's part of it. But one scholar I read noted noted something very interesting. He said in ancient thought, to know the name of a deity or a supernatural being was to be able to exercise power over it, right? Right? If you knew the name of a God or a demigod, then you could summon that God down to do your bidding, right? To get you what you want. So he asks the Lord, what is your name and what does God do? Doesn't answer the question. God is telling him here that this is not how this works. This is not how I, the Lord, deal with you as humans. God doesn't deal with us based on our, our cunning or our cleverness, but he deals with us by his grace and his grace alone. God didn't bless Jacob because Jacob deserved it. My friends, God doesn't bless us because we deserve it. God blesses us because he is gracious. He is so gracious. Jacob had to learn this lesson the hard way. Had Jacob watched his life carefully over the previous years. Had he watched the life of his father Isaac and grandfather Abraham, he would have seen how God over and over again came through. God was gonna gonna come through on his promises, bring blessing, bring prosperity to them, not by any doing of their own, but because he is gracious. Had Jacob seen this, he would not have needed to wrestle every single person he encountered, including the Lord himself. God had to humble Jacob by dislocating his hip. Jacob had to feel some pain first. And friends, the Lord might have to do the same for us. If you have spent your life trying to control and manipulate, first of all, aren't you exhausted? Isn't that exhausting to try to live life like it's all up to you? Friend, the Lord might have to cause you some pain to bring you to the end of yourself here before you can realize that you are not in control, but he is. And that you and I are not the catalyst for God's blessing, but his grace and his grace alone is. Yet even in our pain, even in our undeserved state, even though we are all Jacob here, what does God still do for us? Look at the end of verse 29 and he blessed him there. When we come to the end of ourselves and realize that God is sovereign, and and we are not, that we are undeserving, but God is gracious, that God might have to humble us with pain to show us that he cannot be manipulated, God still chooses to bless us. We have all given God a million reasons why he should give up on us but he gives us one reason why he stays, his grace. Hallelujah, his grace. The second thing I want us to see this morning is that God appearing as a man shows us his willingness to come down and identify with his people. God appearing as a man shows us his willingness to come down and identify with his people. I'm sure many of you have probably heard of the uh, reality TV show called Undercover Boss. Uh, I'm a big fan of Undercover Boss. It's one of my favorite shows to watch. And if you are familiar with the premise, you know Undercover Boss is what the title makes it sound like. It's a boss gone undercover in his own company to see what it's like to work, you know, as an entry-level employee in his business, so you got the CEO, you know, with a fake mustache, right? And he's all, he's all mangled hair, looks like a, a total, you know, entry-level guy. And he, there he is, working alongside the entry-level employees. And it usually ends up with some kind of humorous results, right? Like the CEO breaks the milkshake machine, you know, and like the, the general manager, like, knocks a very important part off of the conveyor belt, you know? And, and so you have this, this boss who comes and sees what it's actually like down at the level of kind of the entry-level workers. Well, at the end of the show, of course, the boss comes and reveals himself to all these entry-level employees that he's worked with. He calls them into this one, these one-on-one meetings in the big executive suite, you know, and he's all, he's all looking sharp there in his suit and tie and coiffed hair. And he invites them in one by one and says, hey, I, I am, I am Ted, who was working alongside of you. And have you seen their reactions before? Like, they're like, they're shocked. Like, they can't believe, like, their CEO is the one right there, like, taking out the trash, you know? Every once in a while, one of the employees is like, ooh, I'm sorry for cussing you out. Like, didn't really, you know? <laughs> like, every once in a while, you know, you get one of those little moments, you're not sure if someone's gonna actually keep their job after this show is over. But what's always amazing is that the CEO, he always blesses these, these, these employees, right? He gives them just these incredibly generous financial gifts. You know, he, he learns their life story, So the college student, you know, he pays off their college loans. The single mom, he buys her a new minivan. Uh, You know, the older employee, he gives them a guaranteed pension for the rest of his life, you know. And they're all hugging and crying. And I'm sitting on my couch, and I'm crying, you know. And, And my wife is looking at me like, I thought you were the man in this relationship. You know, like, what's going on here? You know, oh, it just, it gets me every time. It gets me every time. But what is on display in this story What is on display in Undercover Boss is a picture of what we see here in this story, isn't it? The God of the universe would come down undercover in human flesh, appearing as a man to encounter Jacob. This shows us that the God of the Bible is a personal God. He's personal. He's willing to come down and identify with his people. Think of how shocking this story probably was to the very first Israelites that read this. Think of all that they've known. They've been surrounded by pagan nations whose gods are either these malevolent, invisible bullies in the sky or these little kind of carved trinkets that are sitting on their shelf, So for them to hear that their God appeared to their forefathers face to face, Peniel, to talk to them and be in relationship with them, they must have been shocked. What kind of God is this who comes down to be in relationship with his people? The theological term for this is known as condescension. This is what we, what we call condescension, that God condescends to humans. Now, I think we normally hear the word condescension with a, a negative connotation, right? People kind of, with their arms crossed, kind of looking down their nose with a superiority complex. You know, that's condescension to us. But when we ascribe condescension to God, it actually means the exact opposite, that our God is, is willing and humble to step into our world and in our lives. He's not too high and lofty to care about us and what goes on in our world. Over and over again in the narratives of Scripture, we see that God is a God who comes to his people and he meets them in their trials and in their fears to comfort them and to bless them like he did with Jacob Friends, we should all have certainly a high view of God, that God is holy, he's righteous, he's majestic, he's so much higher and greater than we could ever imagine. But let's not forget we worship a God who also comes down to us. He delights to be with us and to bless us, not because we're perfect, but because he is gracious The final detail that I want you to notice in our text this morning is the question of who won. Who won this wrestling match? Did you catch it as we kind of read through the text? It seems like the text is indicating that Jacob won. What do we do with this? Does this mean God is not all-powerful? Should we rip this story out of our Bibles because it seems to show God, you know, is not, is not completely in control and, and he perhaps lost? But friends, I think if we miss the significance of this outcome of this wrestling match, we risk missing the good news of the Bible altogether. Think about the story. God comes down as a man to encounter a sinner named Jacob and allows himself to be prevailed upon so that he might still bless Jacob and his descendants. What do we have in the cross of Christ? God come down to us as a man, Christ Jesus to live among sinners and allow himself to be prevailed upon on the cross in defeat. But in that defeat comes victory from that empty tomb that the blessing of salvation might come to all who believe. Friends, in this story, we have a glorious revelation of the character of our God. We have a glorious foreshadowing of what God is going to do in Christ on our behalf. We are all in the same plight as Jacob. We thought we could call our own shots, manipulate others, live the hashtag blessed life, right? Right? Yet what we need to realize is what Jacob realized. It is not other people whom we are striving against. It's God. It's God himself. It's the God that has every right to point his finger in our face and say, what is your name? And call us to account for our sins. Yet it's this same God who came to us in the man Christ Jesus, who allowed himself to be prevailed upon at the cross, that Ephesians 1 verse 3 might come true to us. That every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm is now ours in Christ Jesus, our Lord, including eternal life with him forever. So friend, if you're in this room and you have not trusted in this good news before, Maybe you haven't even heard of this good news before. Today is the day to believe. Right now, you're wrestling against God like Jacob is. And in his kindness, God might have to cause you some pain. He might already be causing you some pain to get your attention. But by confession and repentance like Jacob, there comes new life and a new name and a new identity, and a new blessing that you or I, we can never work for on our own. And brothers and sisters, if you're here today and you have believed this good news, you've trusted the gospel, you've trusted Christ, you are co-heirs to this heavenly blessing, let me just leave you with some encouragement. Right? We all walk with a limp, like Jacob, don't we? We all have things in our life that have hurt us. You may be limping in here today, just barely getting by. But let me just encourage you, Lord, let me just encourage you, some of these limps that you have might not be from any fault of your own. It might be from someone else, from something else. Your limp may be something that is of your own doing. But understand that the Lord in his sovereignty, he has touched us all with limps in this way. He has touched us in this way to bring us mercifully to the end of ourselves that we might turn our eyes and look at him. Our God is still there as we limp to comfort us and forgive us. He's near to the brokenhearted and he binds up our wounds. And he is there to still bless us and work for our good, even when we don't deserve it. A.W. Tozer once said, the Lord cannot fully bless a man until he has first conquered him. Hmm. Jacob needed to be conquered. In one sense, Jacob won, but in another sense, God won. God conquered Jacob through his limp, and the Lord in his kindness has had to conquer some of us through our limbs, hasn't he? He has had to humble us and weaken us and bring us to the end of ourselves so that we could see what the apostle Paul saw, that in our weakness, what? He is strong. Praise the Lord that he does not leave us like Jacob, thinking that it's all up to us in this life, but that God comes down to us in the darkness of night to humble us, to leave us seeing his mercies are new with every morning just like the sunrise. Genesis chapter 32, verse 31. Now the sun rose upon Jacob just as he crossed over Penuel and he was limping on his thigh. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are humbled By your word this morning, that in your grace, you came to us to change us. Lord, that you love us too much to let us go our own way. So Lord, we pray that you would turn our hearts towards you today in confession and repentance, trusting in Christ that he is the one who gives us a new name and a new identity. Lord, that you've let us know that we are not defined by our past, but you have given us a new life in the Lord Jesus So we pray that you would bless us, but that you would bless us according to your will and according to your grace, that we may see you even in our limps as our good God who loves us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.